You are listening to the Ridgewood Church Podcast on a sermon series that will take us through the Gospel of John, entitled, Learning Jesus. You know, sometimes in life, things go really well. Sometimes, not so much. Sometimes in life, we are soaring and our dreams are coming true. And at other times, we're just sinking. At times, we feel like we have deep faith and we're confident in God. And then there are times when we just feel weak and we doubt. And that's really the Christian journey for a lot of us. But there's one thing that's a constant. And that's the protection and love of Jesus. That never ebbs, it never goes away. And this morning as you hear this next miracle and you read about it, you you know the story. But I want you to personalize it this time. I, I want you to ask questions like, where do I go when times get rough? Who do I turn to when the balloon of my life pops? Because the answer to those questions are fundamentally important. They will define how deep you can go with Jesus. And frankly, they will define how effective you can be for the gospel. Because fear and anxiety, fear and anxiety paralyze us. It causes us to go deep inside of ourselves. And so there's a better way. And that way is trust. And so this morning, as we look at this text, I want you to be assured that you can put your faith in and that you can trust Jesus, who's the one who can take you through the storm. So if you would, let's open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. John 6, 16. If you want to grab one of those Bibles on the rack in front of you, This is on page 891. You can also download the Ridgewood app, of course, and all of the study notes are there under media, push study, guides, and it'll take you to where you want to go. So this, in this section, is the fifth sign, and we're in the signs of Christ right now. We started with origins, which was that Jesus created, he was there at the beginning of the universe, that he is God, we talked about the beginning of his ministry and his incarnation, And now the signs of Christ, the miracles that Jesus is doing, is he introducing himself as Messiah, the Son of God. And today there's two miracles wrapped up in one. And we're going to see an amazing moment when Jesus rescues his children. And I hope it'll help you see that even in your storms of life, that there is hope and that Jesus can rescue you. So let's take a look at the text now, beginning in verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near to the boat. They were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. 
Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So in this short paragraph, we actually see two different miracles. And in the parallel accounts of this passage, one being in Matthew, one being in Mark, and we'll pull some from the Mark passage today, we see that this is the same story that Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the water toward Jesus. And you all know that, where he sinks because of his lack of faith. That's recorded in the book of Matthew. But it's not recorded in John, probably, number one, because John was written long after the Synoptic Gospels, and so he probably assumed that his readers would have been familiar with what happened with Peter. But more importantly, this wasn't really his focus. His focus was on the Lordship of Christ, the miracles that Jesus was doing. He's introducing Christ as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and it was a Christocentric storytelling rather than focusing on Peter. But we have this amazing moment where Jesus meets his disciples in their deepest fear. And if, if we look at both accounts here and in Mark, we see what the, the sequence of events is. Jesus has just fed that multitude of people, recorded as 5,000 men, probably 20,000 people. They want to make him king. He doesn't want to be their king in this way. He's not a political ruler, so he senses the temptation the disciples certainly would be tempted to be in that game. So he goes up to pray on a hillside, and he sends his disciples into a boat headed for Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. And that's where things began to change suddenly for these disciples. What we see is a storm came up out of nowhere, and it reminds us that the storms of life strike quickly. The storms of life strike quickly. Now, the Sea of Galilee is an interesting body of water. It's really not that far across. It's only six miles across. And if you compare that to Malax Lake, for example, that's 18 miles across at its widest span. So this is not a huge body of water. But what makes it so dangerous is that it's six to 700 feet below sea level. And so these cold winds come rushing out of the hills, it mixes with this warm, moist air over the water, and it creates sudden squalls and storms. And the disciples ran into one of those. And evening was falling, it was dark, Jesus wasn't with them, they were in a lot of trouble. Now, to show you what the Sea of Galilee looks like at times, those of you who have been to Israel, most of the time when you're on the sea, it's very smooth sailing. And uh, you get on one of these big boats, and they play CDs for you, and then they try to sell them to you, and they, you know, they'll, they'll sing the national anthem for you and so forth. But it's not really probably what happened in this case. But you see that the Sea of Galilee can really get churned up. And these are, these are large swells. And so they're in a fishing boat. It's dark. They're trying to sail. The wind's blowing against them, and they're terrified. And to really understand their terror, we have to look at what they're riding in. This is, a, this is a boat that was recently, when I say recently, in the 1980s, was pulled from the sand on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it's dated exactly to the time of Christ. So this is exactly the kind of boat they would have been riding in. You can see it's not very big, and you can get some context by the people here who are looking at it. 
These boats were about 27 feet long, only seven and a half feet across. They would have like six fishermen, disciples were in this boat, with all of their gear, and they're up against these huge swells. And so you can see that at times these boats were no match for the storms that would befall them. And here they were, terrified all by themselves, and this is where Jesus will enter the picture. They want to get to the other side. Look at verses 16 through 18. This helps us understand their dilemma. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, started across the sea to Capernaum. It was dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. So these storms came out of nowhere, literally. And in our life, sometimes storms come out of nowhere, too. One day we feel like we're sailing along, we don't have a problem in the world, which are great seasons of life. But then all of a sudden, before we even know what hit us, the bottom could fall out. We can spin out of control. We can feel like we're sinking. We can feel like our, our boat is no match for whatever this thing is that has come into our life. But what we're going to see here is that Jesus never fails his own. Jesus is always involved, and we can trust that he has power over all of these things that come into our lives. Take a look at these passages. 1 John 5, 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So as a child of God and a believer in Jesus Christ, you are an overcomer. And of course, we know that Jesus has power over the wind and the waves. And he's sovereign, and we can trust God in that. And then we see this passage as well that helps to strengthen faith in 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We don't have to carry around all of this fear and anxiety because we have this one who is immensely powerful, who's always involved with us. And he's just saying, why don't you give that to me? Let me carry that. You can be free. I, I can handle the load on this. But it's hard to do. And, and the disciples couldn't have even imagined how he was going to rescue them. Because here they are in the dark, in this little boat, and they weren't making any progress, which would have been just as frustrating as terrifying. Look at verse 19 again. When they had rowed about three or four miles... They saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Well, that's logical. Here comes Jesus walking on the swells. But look what's happening. They're rowing and rowing and rowing and trying to get somewhere, but they're not going anywhere. And this is what happens in life's storms. It seems to block progress, and we get stuck. We get mired. It's, it's really difficult because we had this plan of where we wanted to go. And now here we are with this thing we have to deal with. And we get stuck. And we feel trapped. And, and the disciples knew they weren't going to make it to the other side. And the Bible makes it very clear in Mark 6 that they were out to sea. Like they were in the middle of it. And that's not a good place to be. 
but there was hope for them. And we see this too in, in Mark, Mark 6:47 and the first part of 48. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he, Jesus, was alone on the land. And look at this. He saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Remember, Jesus had gone up on the hillside to pray. And what Mark is telling us here is that he was watching them the whole time. So you can imagine he has this vantage point. And if you've been there, you can, you know, there's, there's hills around the entire perimeter. You can see pretty much everything that's happening on the lake. And here's Jesus just watching them bob in the waves. They were never for one second out of his eyesight or out of his care. Though they would have never known that. You are never ever outside of his care. He has his eyes on you. And you think, well, why doesn't he intervene? Because he's waiting for the right time. Because he knows exactly what he needs to do to build your faith. The idea here is to build faith. It's to elicit faith. But the storms of life throw us off guard. And all of our intentions that we had in our life begin to disappear because we thought we had everything under control. That's why we get so spun out, because we think we can control everything. But we can't. And we think things like this. We think our plans are so well, so good. If I plan well for retirement, certainly I will be able to retire in ease, go to Florida and golf, which sounds so boring to me, but I'm sure some of you really enjoy that. Go to Florida and watch baseball. That's what you do for retirement. Wendy's going, that's enticing. Let's do that. But then all of a sudden, the storms hit. And our plans change. And we don't know what hit us. We think to ourselves, if I can just parent by all the rules, if I can do everything the perfect way, then most certainly my children will turn out just like I want them to. And those of you who have raised children for a while, look at me and you're kind of like nodding like, uh, no, it doesn't work that way. The storms hit. Our kids aren't acting the way we want, and it can be very, very hard. When I talk to people, one of the greatest heartaches they struggle with is their kids. It's almost a universal thing. We think, if I get the right degree, I most certainly will get the job that I want until we look for that job and realize that our lives are going to be different than we thought. Or we think, if I can follow all the rules, do premarital counseling, if I find my new spouse on christianmingle.farmers.ilikeyou.iwantawoman.com, that everything's going to work out really well, and I'm going to live happily ever after. And then all of a sudden, a storm hits, and our lives completely change. What do we do then? Sometimes life just stops us in our tracks. We don't make any progress, and we think, this isn't what my life was going to be. Here's what I want you to remember. Jesus has his eyes on you. 
Jesus was watching them the whole time. He was never outside of his care or providence, and neither are you. And I would go one step further that he's still in the boat with you. He is always, he, he dwells you. He cannot be not with you. You're not alone. It feels like it, I know, when you're going through stuff, but you're not alone. And here, these guys are being watched by Jesus. He's right on their radar. Look at Luke 12, 6 and 7. This is a good reminder. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. God knows you deeply and personally and loves you. You are never outside of God's care. So Jesus is watching them. They're not making much progress. They think they're going to sink. But then it was time for him to act. He was waiting for the perfect time. And here's what happens in storms, is that Jesus appears in the midst of them. If you just watch for him. If you just watch for him and wait for him, he will show up. I had a friend who always said to me, you know, God's never early, but he's never late. Interesting. He knows exactly what time to come and be with you. And all of a sudden, here he was in verses 19 and 20. When they, when they had rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. And what does he do in 20? He comes to them and says, it is I, do not be afraid. He walks on the water and he introduces himself to them. Now there are skeptics who think here that this wasn't really a miracle. And if you actually go to Israel and talk to a, a secular Jew or someone who doesn't believe, they'll give you all kinds of crazy stories. The thing was frozen over, and Jesus was walking on the ice, and you kind of look around going like, really? Here? But really what skeptics will say, yeah, here, this wouldn't work, this story wouldn't have worked in Minnesota, let me tell you, because we're never going to have summer again. I've, I've, I've realized that now. <laughs> what the, the skeptics will say is that because they weren't making progress, because they were in a storm, what was really happening is Jesus was just walking along the shore next to them the whole time. So he didn't really have to walk on the water, he just jumped in the boat. But that doesn't do any justice to the text at all. Number one, the Bible says they were out to sea. Number two, why would the disciples have been terrified if Jesus wasn't walking on the water? They were afraid. They thought he was some kind of a ghost. But it was Jesus, and he's introducing himself to them. He's appearing to them in life's darkest moments when the wind is blowing the hardest. When we think we're going down, that's when Jesus emerges and says, trust me. Trust me, because that's when we have our eyes on him, and he, can, and, and, and he has our attention. It's really easy when life is going well, when those, when those waters are calm, to take our attention off the big things. But when we're, when we're sinking, we're looking for help, and that's when God does his best work. They thought they were seeing a ghost, but look what happens here. I love this, this greeting. It is I. And that's a really important phrasing because it's literally in the Greek, I am, which is what Jesus uses when he introduces himself in John 8, 58, and he says, before Abraham was, I am. 
I am is Yahweh. He's God. He's the God of the universe. And so he uses that terminology here. But likely what the disciples are just so glad to see is a friend when they realize it's him. And he's basically saying to them, hey, it's me. It's me. Remember? It's me. And then what did they do? They, they took him into the boat because now they had hope. And, and this, is what, this is what happens. When we welcome Jesus into our storms, miracles happen. Miracles happen. Nowhere in Scripture are we instructed to try to be strong Christians. We are to receive the love of Christ and allow him to do miracles for us. And even more astounding here, I think, for the reader would have been the culture of the day. They were scared of seas and water, and they, it was frightening. When you read in the book of Revelation, it says there will be no seas. It doesn't mean there's not going to be water in heaven. It's a calming thing for the reader to know that there will be no fearsome oceans or water because they just had a hard time navigating water. But Jesus does an amazing thing here. He comes to meet them against these massive swells, and he says, hi, it's me. And I think that really for us as Christians, it's the process that's more important than the outcome. Because it's within the process that we learn about faith. And I really like this, this quote by Craig Rochelle, who's a pastor in Oklahoma. He wrote a book called Hope in the Dark, Believing God is Good When Life is Not. And here's what he says. Here's my take on the progression from suffering to intimacy with God. When we're suffering through hard times, we take God at his word and believe that he's still in control with a specific purpose in mind. So, keep going. Relying on him. As we keep going, hour to hour, day to day, week to week, we become stronger. Our faith grows. Our maturity grows. Our trust in God grows. When we're stronger, then our hope is in God's goodness, not in our circumstances. It's about the process. That's why, that's why Jesus was watching the boat bobbing the waves, and he didn't rush right out there and say, okay, don't worry. I'm, no, he needed to wait because he had timing that would introduce himself at the exact perfect time. You remember when, when Lazarus was sick? And they came and they finally found Jesus and he said, I'm not coming right now. And, and get, Martha was there to meet him. Like, what are you thinking? Well, what he was thinking was, I'm going to wait four days and then I'm going to raise him from the dead and they're going to know who I am. So he's not, he, he's not ignoring you. He's waiting for the right time. And that's where really faith begins to, to breathe when we realize that Paul understood suffering. In 2 Corinthians he talks about this, but, but he said to me, Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Do you see what we've done in Christianity is we valued strength and perseverance and Bible knowledge. So we can be these fortified, strong, tanned, fit Christians and go out and change the world. For 
for I am weak. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. So I think what God really values is submission and brokenness and a willingness to go to him and say, I am broken by this world. That's who he wants to work with. He's not looking for the strongest. He's looking for the weakest that are willing to put their lives in his hand. And then he can do what he wants with them. Peter again. I mean, Peter writes so much about this. This is 1 Peter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. You can be glad then when he intervenes because you can see then what his timing is for. And if you look at this text and this sign, here's the overriding point that John is trying to make here, that Jesus saves and protects his own. Jesus saves and protects his own. You're his own. If you believe in him, this is his thing. So, so I don't know what your storm is. Maybe it is your kids or, or your marriage relationships Maybe it's the relationship with your friends or your boss or your workmates and you're just, you're so tired of it. God is in that. Or maybe it's grief. Grief is so hard because it's so isolating. When, when you're grieving, everyone around you wants you to get better. And the truth of the matter is, you're never going to be back to the way you were because God has changed you through that, and it can be hard, but God is watching. He's not, you're not alone. It can be depression, suicidal thoughts and tendencies that just dog us. We have an epidemic of suicide in our culture. It's real. We have to deal with this in the church of Jesus Christ, and maybe you're struggling with that, or anger, or bitterness that you just can't get over, or maybe it's hopelessness where you just wake up in the morning and go, I really don't have anything to live for. Could just be fear too. Fear of, of circumstances that you can't control. Fear of aging, health issues. Whatever the fears are, whatever the issues are, these storms are being watched over by Jesus. He's on the hillside he can see your boat bobbing in the waves, never taking his eyes off you for a moment. And yeah, progress might be slow. And you may be experiencing this terrible feeling that you're sinking, but let me tell you right now that Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And there's really two, two types of salvation that I want you to really think about receiving this morning. The first is eternal salvation. And that is salvation that will take your storm of sin, the ravages of sin, because you are, biblically speaking, separated from God. And you have no way to reconcile with God except through Jesus Christ. He cannot save you unless you come to Him in belief. And that's all He asks. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He wants you to come into relationship with Him. And then you can live in heaven forever with Him and you avoid condemnation of sin. It's a really important step that you can take. But there's also something that I could call temporal 
salvation. And this is salvation from anxiety and fear and all the things that trap us. And it's taking us from hopelessness to hope, from darkness to light. This is what the disciples experienced. When Jesus got into the boat, it was immediately on the land. Jesus saves his own. And so this morning, are you willing to release all of these feelings and fears and trust the one who got into that boat and they were on land? When storms rage and you feel like you're going to get capsized, are you willing to go to God? And listen, I'm with you in this. Like, I struggle with a lot of the things I've mentioned here this morning. I do. I struggle with depression. I struggle with frustration. I struggle with anger. I struggle with grief. I feel like I'm stuck sometimes. But then I'm reminded, then I'm reminded, when I look at texts like this, when I meet God in the mornings, that I'm his child. And he can refresh me and give me hope and help me to thrive. And that's what I want for you. But we need to relinquish. We need to release. We need to submit. So this morning, I'm going to ask you, as we go to the Lord's table, to think and pray about what do I need to relinquish? My storm is so hard, or maybe you don't have one right now. I want you then to fortify your faith and say, Lord, will you please give me the gift of faith so that when the storm hits, I'll be ready. But all of us, I think, have something. So let's pray. And then we'll go to the Lord's table and we'll praise God that we have hope in this. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.